Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by Bugsnag. Bugsnag is mission control for software quality. And on this segment, I'm talking with James Smith, co-founder and CEO of Bugsnag, about the core problem they're solving for software teams and why you should head to bugsnag.com changelog to test it out with your team. Let's start with, um, you mentioned you and Simon. So you, you guys obviously at one point didn't have this company, right? So as founders, as engineers, you got to a problem. What was that problem? Why does Bugsnag exist? Uh, Simon and I, my co-founder, I met in college. We went off to build software for other companies. I ended up in a startup. He ended up in enterprise software. And we had the same problem in both of these companies. When things break, it's really hard to figure out how badly they're broken, who's impacted, and what to fix first. So we both had this problem ourselves. So we decided, hey, why is no one doing a good job of fixing this problem right now? So very much Bugsnag was born out of uh, scratching our own itch, as they say. One thing that we find all the time is that there's this tension in software teams or in product companies where you want to deliver new features to your customers or you want to build cool new stuff. But at the same time, you've got to fix bugs because no matter how good a coder you are, you're going to introduce bugs. But there's no clear definition of where to set that slider. Should I... Uh, be fixing bugs now or should I be releasing features? And so this tension exists, I think, in all product teams, all software teams. If you don't have a tool like Bugsnag, it's very difficult for you to figure out where to spend time. And so that's the idea here is we're trying to help teams understand whether they should be building or fixing because there's a bit of a delicate balance between both. So if your team is unsure of how to spend their time building or fixing, give Bugsnag a try. It's free to get started with a 45-day extended trial exclusive to our listeners at the bugsnet.com slash changelog and by Linode. Everything we do here at changelog is hosted on Linode servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro and pick a location. And in seconds, deploy your virtual server, drool worthy hardware, SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, nine data centers, three regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. Head to lindo.com slash changelog and get $20 in hosting credit. You're listening to the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of open source. I'm Adam Stokowiak, editor-in-chief of Changelog. On today's show, we're going back into the archives, the conversations we had around data science at OzCon 2017. We talked to Vita Williams, data scientist, educator, and entrepreneur, and also Michelle Casbon, director of data science at Cordoba. We talked about the social impact of open data, personal data and transparency, privacy, the big data problem of public surveillance, electronic fingerprinting, the rift between data scientists and computer scientists, neuro-linguistic programming, machine learning, and so much more. Enjoy the show. Unless you're a data practitioner in the world of open source developers, it's not really on the core of everything. True. I have to make a compelling case to be interesting. I see data science and I get excited. Yeah. And I'm an open source developer. <laughs> so, yeah. 
maybe on the outlier. No, well, it was interesting because one of the things I talk about is open data. Like, that's specifically what I'm interested in, but the social impact of open data. Like, mm. how do we come that's together? That's what we want to talk about. You know, but that's, that's, so that's my thing. Right. And there's just now a burgeoning conversation around it. I think we tried to have it, interestingly enough, 20 years ago, but there wasn't an infrastructure hmm. for open data at the time. Who's we? Data practitioners. I mean, my first big project was a DPA data project, so that was big data before big data was big. Um, right. You know, we were doing something stupid that 15 years later we knew not to do, and that's moved from mainframe into relational. Like, I don't want to do that to that volume of data. Right. That being said, at the time, there were discussions around transparency and open data and who should have access to it, but there were no standardizations, there were no protocols, there were no accesses, there were no platforms. So now we're finally in a place where we can have this discussion because, especially in the all open source, where all that stuff exists. Yeah. So now it's it's regathering the Avengers, if you will, all the data superheroes, and going, hey, we can now hold everybody accountable for Thanks. privacy, for standardization, for protocols on access, in order to actually make a difference. So why don't we do that? So anyway, that's what the talk was about. Cool. Interesting. We've actually had some shows. We've been around for a while. 2009, we started this show, and we've talked about open data, mostly in the government space a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for some, like, older shows. It's been a while. Like, Civic Hacking with, this is, like, the first one, with uh, Luigi Mont Montanez and Jeremy Carball. That was when they were both working, Sunlight I think, with, with the, yeah, Sunlight Labs. Sunlight Foundation. Yeah. Well, now you have, like, the President's Information Fellows, the PIFs, mm -hmm. right, who are in that whole White House-sponsored open data platform. Um, but an interesting question came up in my session about the, if, the, if this conversation was before and what do we do about the question of privacy, right? So that it was really like, okay, so if everybody's supposed to have this personal data, then what is, the, what is this, how do we accomplish this around privacy? And, um, you know, my response was we need to hold, we as data practitioners need to challenge the hypocrisy of privacy. We want to put a camera everywhere and be able to develop in reality TV, and there's no privacy communication there, but all of a sudden you're a data point and there's all of a sudden a need for privacy. So we as practitioners need to actually challenge the definition of data as though image is somehow not data and thus exempted from privacy. But if you're a number or you know some type of codified information, then all of a sudden it's privacy rules. Huh. That's interesting. I never really considered the the idea of like cameras being somewhere and considering that I hate that too. Yeah. I mean, I'm I may be somewhat of a devil's advocate, but I'm not sure your perspective like it kind of bugs me that you can take six data points and figure out exactly who I am. Absolutely. Male, color, where I originated from, how much money I probably make, if I have kids, like you can take six data points and pretty much figure out roughly everything about me besides Absolutely. my name. You know, and it, it's that's the world we live in, but should we accept that? You know, is it is it okay to, to, to like have all that? And I'm I'm born in '79, so I'm 38 years old. People born these today's age, they're they're it's like second they have nature. No expectation right. of privacy. Well, and so okay, so where I sit on it, I'm an introvert data geek, so I don't want anybody to know anything. <laughs> okay, okay, so maybe it's, I'm not devil's advocate. Right. No, no, no. I don't want anybody, you know, I'm one of the first ones to say I'm falling off the grid for said period of time and you can't get me. 
But I also, I think having been in technology for so long, strike a cool balance between the fact that in order for us to have this technological infrastructure and the innovation revolution that we're currently in, we have already as a country at minimum world a little bit less, but equally made a decision to forego privacy. So now when we discuss privacy, we're, all, we're only talking about it really in the realm of making you feel comfortable at having you as a citizen for having given it up. Mm. Right. Anytime you start. So it's already out there. It's, it's, it's reversing already, it. Right. It's already gone. Now, the problem that I have from a data sciences perspective is the definition of data. We will refuse to call image information data. And it is equally Who's data. We? we as a when we start talking about privacy laws, we right. do not consider image, video, et cetera, yeah. with the same standard as we do your credit card number, right. your social security number, you know, right, except right. for now we have technology where if I put your picture up, I can equally find everything about you on the internet uh, that's associated with that image, right? You're scaring right. me, Vita. Come on. So, now. I mean, I'm just saying. It's so true. There's, it's like there's, catfish, right? You just throw that image in Google hey, or whatever, you, this look, magic machine. and If you're trying to prevent catfish from happening, you might want to put the image up. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. <laughs> but we don't have the same protocols and expectation around privacy. Right. And I'm saying there's a bit of a hypocrisy there. And so in my space, when we're talking about making an actual difference in the world, so we will not at all disclose the information of a youth who's in trouble, mm. you know, at all, right? But as soon as he's in a fight or as soon as he's in some police exchange or as soon as he's in whatever, all privacy goes out of the window because there's an image, there's a video, and now we know everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if we could have just, and, and this is my, so one of my core spaces is child welfare. I work a lot in education. I work a lot in urban planning, a lot of impact investing, and a lot of those things where I feel like we make communities safer. How about if we just identified at the point in time that he became a foster youth, and all of a sudden his environment is unstable? Why couldn't we de, you know, de-privacy, de-news some of that data then so that we could provide services that could have helped him? But now that is a privacy issue. So I don't know where the lines are. I just know that we don't, I don't know where the lines are, but I know that we do not have a rational way of discussing privacy via data in a way that is actually going to be beneficial for humanity. That's what I know. So my thing is issuing a call to action to those who deal with data to begin the process of discussing how do we templatize it, how do we standardize it, what protocols do we put in place in order to make data more available and more consumable for impact. That's my goal. And I don't know if you're recording any of this. You recorded all of it. Did you really? Yeah, it's, this is, we've already started. We actually, it's like, it's like a soft well, opening well, here. Yeah. Unless you want to like resume it. No, I, I was mean, about I, to say that. Like, by the way, we've been recording this whole thing. Well, this is a good riff. So let's keep going. Data privacy here. You know, we've been recording everything you're saying. I was gonna say. Uh, well, it's funny because normally we'll do like an intro thing and then we'll see, start. Well, she was but glad like, it's already had it going. I was like, I was like we're thinking this is this is better than the show is gonna be. We've already. So, this is the show, y'all. This is the show. This is the show. Yeah. So Vita Williams. Vita Williams. Lots to say. From my perspective, I didn't realize this, so I've always considered it, but because I'm just like a nerdy developer person, like images are data, the video's data, my phone number's data, I always saw it the same. I didn't realize that 
the classification from the data practitioners or from the governmental bodies or yeah. the people making the decisions, they see imagery and video as like completely distinct things. Well, think about it this way. When you had the huge push for police to wear cams, right? Yeah. Like that was the answer to the interactions between police and youth, right? The yeah. answer was let's everybody wear a cam. Body cam, yeah. Right? So my response was, who is managing all that data, <laughs> right? How are you yeah, exactly right. organizing oh, yeah. the fact that, well, we need to pick up this cam from this person at this time, and who has the space, who's managing the space constraints wow, for yeah. calling all of that data at once? Those types is of Is it archived? Is it archived well? Yeah. like is it Could it be used in the, the cord? Absolutely. All these things. I never even thought about that. And Nobody does. Nobody right. did. Right. And that is we do. where we the data people come in, and we were nowhere in that conversation. So, yes, yeah, a social justice question because the legislators want to say, yes, we're a body cam. And the data people are like, well, wait a minute. That's like a, a yes, no because that's a yes, we should do it, but a no, we can't. Right. Huh. And then how do you play that out later in the courts? And then where's the question of privacy then? The people in the video are under 18. How much can you show? You can't right. even tell a child's name if they've been, if there's been any type of sexual violence in a newspaper, and yet you can show an entire video of a young person in some type of exchange with police. Talk to me about privacy again. Huh. But because the data people are missing from those types of conversations, those points are only discussed in our rooms behind our little screens because we don't really like talking to people. So, a whole so lot. what are they doing then with these cameras? How are they dealing with the data? Do you know? I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. I have talked to a What's couple. What's your best guess? My best guess is they're not. They just lose it. Yeah, my so best So you think guess maybe it's around for a week till the, the SD card is formatted and they'll have and in fact what will happen is we'll have some case that will challenge it right where it will they'll the data will need to be there the data the film the metadata and the, the images will all need to be there and the we'll just call them the legislators of the day will come up and say you know what our policy at that point in time was to archive it seven days because of the volume of the data and unfortunately that was cut before we could get there right it'll be some answer like that because then that enables the legislators to vote yes and then the execution of it to fall defunct and it be nobody's fault. Hmm. Yeah. That's, I'm starting to think of chain of custody and issues like that as well. Exactly. Because like, who's the one who's maintaining the data? Is it the same people who are called under question by the jail? And that's why I said the metadata becomes very important. Yeah. Like, who, who picked it up? Who cataloged it? Where did they move it? When did they move it? We have, you know, electronic fingerprints. That's all a data issue. That's a development issue, right? That's an infrastructure issue. But we don't have the practices in place, and nor do we have the protocols in place to deal with issues such as privacy. So now, if you had a routine traffic stop, I would stop. You know, he's got a camera on, he's taking a picture of me. But later I go running for office, what if I cursed him out during that traffic stop? Well, that video can resurface. Where's mm. the privacy of that? That was right. a state-sanctioned video. Huh. So there's all kinds of questions of privacy that never come up when you're dealing with data from an image perspective. They always say you never have something to hide until you have until something, you have to, something hide, to hide. Right? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> well, that's the truth, though. It you know, is. Like, but in the era of data, you have everything to hide or nothing to hide. Like that's right. the, that's where we are now. I'm going you off don't grid. even I'm going know what's grid. out there to hide. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going off grid. We're, we're done here. <laughs> I'll get my privacy back. Oh boy. Oh, so Does it kind go? of feel like that? You throw your hands up and you're like, what What are we going to do? I did that years ago when I knew that we gave up privacy. It was just one of those things where I literally would fall off the grid for a moment because I know I'm never really off the grid, right? I just don't want to talk to anybody. Right. <laughs> 
So I think we're in the era of transparency. I think the best opportunity we have is citizenry. And on our side of the house, as developers, as infrastructure planners, as this data, is to begin to influence the legislation around it. Mm. Is to begin to have some expectation that would be at the table as they're defining what are the rights and the wrongs of people as it has to do with the information that we're, we're culling. I, I think that's where we need to be. And I don't think that we're in the conversation at all. I don't think people are thinking about, let's bring the geeks to the table to discuss how right. this can happen. I agree with that. They want us there last. last. We've made the solution. It's too late. Go make it. <laughs> they want okay? us to fix it. So we've we've designed how it should be. Yeah, exactly. All the decisions are made. Here's the spec. Can you do this? Can you do this now? Two weeks. Right. Yeah, right. We're gonna need this tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, not yeah. Two weeks. Like, well, really, we needed this last week, so we're gonna pay you a hell of a lot of money to like right. maybe get it wrong, but we yeah. gotta roll it out anyway, wow. and then we'll yeah, just correct it on the back end. Oh man, that's that's how it's gonna go down. That's how it, it goes down. That's how it goes down. But we can change that. That's why you're doing this podcast. We're calling awareness to it. Yeah. Call to action. Bring the Geek Avengers out. We can change this. What's your so, biggest call to call to action for? Developers, data scientists, geeks out there. What's yeah. your biggest call Actionable to action? steps. What can we do? My biggest call to action is really get engaged with social justice issues, right? There are not enough of us that apply our talents into spaces where our impacts can be readily felt. So three years ago, I went from working high corp enterprise architecture and data to deciding that if I was so good at what I do that I can drive corporate missions forward, Department of Defense missions forward, that if I use that same talent and applied it to child welfare and applied it into these other places, that I can drive those missions forward just as fast. And I would think that that would be true for all of us, that if we reapply all of our skill sets in these areas and look at that as a donation, as much as we look at dollar donations, that maybe we can start affecting change in our communities. Any low-hanging fruit in particular you could mention? Absolutely. Probably education is the biggest one right now. Like, how do we standardize education data so that we can actually show where our students are successful, where they're struggling, which communities can benefit from what types of actions, right? We just need data. We need platforms to be able to nationalize some of the, the, the results that we're getting from the education systems. If there's already a mandate to produce education data, why isn't it standardized across the nation, right? Yeah. And who's holding them accountable for doing that? And then who's doing that type of reporting that is accessible to educational practitioners, whether that's preschool programs or extracurricular education programs or whatever it is, social workers or counselors. So that's low-hanging fruit that's really easy but has the biggest impact for our next decade. Always got to take care of our future generation, right? It would seem That's to be. It's the best place to invest. They don't even well, know that, you know, go on. They I, don't I, even know that they're, <laughs> they're not supposed to tell you this information. So. Yeah, really. <laughs> so that's probably my biggest call to action and the first industry that I would say we could be the most impactful. So if people were listening to this and they're like, I love Vita, she's awesome. They can learn more about you. Where do they go to find out more about you and what you're, what you're doing? Well, the first thing I would have to do is tell you my name is not Vita, but Vita. Oh my goodness. Which is fine. Come on now. You and let me say it 15 you, times you, and I'm you waited this long. I, <laughs> I even said, Are you Vita Williams? I'm not even no, embarrassed she said, now. Yes, I am. I'm just mad. No. <laughs> oh man. I'm more mad than embarrassed. But, the audience knows that I mess a lot of names up. And yes. I was going to say, it's not a big deal because in Europe they told me I say my name wrong anyway. Okay. You what know? is it then? It is Vita Williams. Vita. Vita. V I D A. Vita. I went on the Spanish, like I was thinking Vita, like life in Spanish. Living La Vida Loca when I said to Adam and he rolled his eyes at me. No, that's what I, that's what, that's it. That's Living La Vida Loca. That's it. And I am Vita Christie everywhere. So on okay. Twitter, on Google, 
via email, Gmail. Okay. You can always get me at Vita Christie. We'll put the links in the show notes to you and make sure everybody knows about you. Awesome. Any closing thoughts? I just thank you for the opportunity to ramble for about 15 minutes. I mean, I don't get that too often. Awesome. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. We're cool. happy to, happy to happy talk to, to you. Very thank very much. You. This episode is brought to you by GoCD. GoCD is an open source continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. It provides continuous delivery out of the box with its built-in pipelines, advanced traceability, and value stream visualization. With GoCD, you can easily model, orchestrate, and visualize complex workflows from end to end. It supports modern infrastructure with elastic on-demand agents and cloud deployments, and their plugin ecosystem ensures GoCD will work well in your unique environment. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.org changelog. It's open source and free to use, and there's also professional support and enterprise add-ons available from ThoughtWorks. Once again, gocd.org changelog. And by TopTow. TopTow is the best place to work as a freelancer or hire the top 3% of freelance talent out there for developers, designers, and finance experts. In this segment, I talk with Josh Chapman, a freelance finance consultant at TopTow, about the work he does and how TopTow helps him legitimize being a freelancer. Take a listen. Yeah, in my arena within TopTal, I specialize in everything from market research to business plan creation to pitch decks to financial modeling, valuation. And then that leads very naturally into fundraising strategy, capital raising strategy, investor outreach, closing a deal, deal negotiation, how to value the company, how to negotiate that. And all those skill sets that I have continued to hone over on the TopTal side are ones that I actually deploy every single day in my own company. Freelancing can sometimes be seen as not legitimate or subpar work. Now, I would argue that when you work with a company like TopTal, they put so much vetting into not only the companies that you work with, but also the talent that you work with, which I'm on the talent side, that it adds a level of legitimacy that isn't seen across other platforms. And that for me, as the talent side, is incredibly fruitful and awesome to be a part of, right? I enjoy the clients. I enjoy the other talent that I get to talk to. I enjoy the TopTal team. And that creates an overall positive experience, not only for for TopTal, but for me as the talent and for the client as the company on the other side. And that is really not seen or is the experience across other platforms in the freelance market. So if you're looking to freelance or you're looking to gain access to a network of top industry experts in development, design, or finance, head to toptal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com and tell them Adam from the Change Log sent you. For those wanting a more personal introduction, email me, adam at changelog.com. So we're here with Michelle Casbon, Director of Data Science at Cordoba. And Michelle, you as well as Vida Williams, another data scientist that we spoke to at this show, and I guess maybe other 
I just feel like we're we're sensing a thing which I didn't know existed. We we're talking about it before we started recording, but I wanted to get you know your explanation because this is a social construct that I have never experienced, which is there seems to be a bit of a divide between data scientists, maybe with quotes around that, and computer scientists with quotes around that, or programmers. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it stems from a lot of... So data science didn't really exist until, I don't know, five years ago, ten years ago. It's a new thing, and I think when companies started to bring data scientists on, they sort of created these organizational structures that put a wall in between them, and they have different skill sets for the most part. So there's definitely some overlap. Engineering, you know, you need a really strong programming background, but data science, you need strong engineering and strong math, all of these other things in addition. And so I feel like engineering kind of thought, well, their programming skills aren't as strong because they're really good at math. And then the data scientists are like, well, they don't know anything about modeling, so they're no good. Right. Um, but I think it really boils down to organizational structures and having that wall in between because yeah. a lot of times the data science will do some really amazing things in with math and then they'll sort of like, hey, go implement that, go put it into production. And an engineer is like, this library, it doesn't exist in Java. I don't I don't know what you ex- what kind of magic you expect me to do. Right. Um, but that sort of throwing of things over the fence and like that kind of tension I think I has caused a lot of problems. And that seems to have moved beyond the walls of the corporations to even events like this, where uh, I think I think yourself as well as Vita both responded to us in in certain different terms. Like, are you sure you want to talk to me? <laughs> I'm a data scientist, or you know, I'm not a developer. <laughs> and our response to that is like, well, I don't. Sure. Yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we want to talk course. to you. Uh, I've never been what aware. What was my response to that question? Well, that's okay. Well, yeah, and, that's to, okay. <laughs> and to be fair, I didn't say... That. That's okay. Yeah. I didn't it say I'm not a developer okay. because right. data scientists are definitely Right, you didn't say developers. you're not a de- Well, Vita said she wasn't a developer. You, you think it's just, you just like said, what's your audience not knowing well a, enough? Like, maybe not hanging out? Like, since it's newish, so to speak, you know, like maybe y'all haven't gotten a time to congeal that well or hang out in the same rooms and realize that you're all human beings and you all have smarts and can bring something to a changing landscape of things? Yeah, I mean, logically, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of logical sense. <laughs> Humans aren't logical. Right. That's true. And we're, I think... We're emotional. Very judgmental. <laughs> very picky. I don't know. I guess there's just... It seems like there are these two focuses. Like, one is just on sort of production code, you know, yeah. writing things that don't break. And then there's the, no, but machine learning, like... Like, the math is the most important part. Um, and so I, I just think that, like, with any two organizations, just like between engineering and DevOps, like, there's a lot there's of tension, tension because the goals are a bit different. Right. And in a certain sense, because there's overlapping skill sets but not identical skill sets, yes. both sides feel threatened by the other yes. one. Yeah. Oh, because well, that's that a pers- strong word, but... <laughs> oh, that's too strong? I mean, threatened is, like, that's just a strong word. Okay. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm going to back it off. <laughs> How do you mean threatened? Just curious. Well, I said like, it. No, no, no. But she says, it. She, th- she thinks it's strong. Why yeah. is it strong? Because I felt like, like it was, a, I felt like it was a, I feel apropos. like it's right on too. Yeah. yeah. But, but different reaction here. So please tell us. So I think because we understand enough of what the other side does that um, it's easy to be critical of how other people are doing things. Yeah. Um, 
I think the best way to so what I've what I've seen to make the problem go away the best is really just to take down those walls and like organizationally you're not you're saying, different just, yeah. people sit together work together there's even like sitting job together yes and like sharing titles so yeah. I consider myself a, a data science engineer because I feel like that better describes what I do um, because I do have a background in engineering and now I do a lot of machine learning and like my official title is director of data science but I don't feel like that's distinct from engineering anymore because, uh, so NLP is what I focus on, and in order to do that, I have to be able to understand distributed computing, and like that didn't necessarily exist in traditional NLP. Sure. Um, and so now to be able to do machine learning, I really have to understand so much of it, and, and vice versa. If anyone wants to implement any of these models, any of this NLP stuff, um, they really kind of have to understand what the libraries are doing, and. Um, I guess what I'm saying is just that the the more you can merge the roles and the everyday um, everyday tasks, like whether that starts with calling people data science engineers or merging titles somehow or right. giving people the the same um, the same sort of social status in in the hierarchy, the engineering hierarchy. Um, either way, I think the more those can merge uh, and the more you the can align those goals. Yeah, then the better people will work together because it's it's a form of segregation, right? Titles, wouldn't you say? Well, you're literally you're degree. literally segregating, like you're it's actually not drawing a lines. racial segregation, like maybe that term is normally associated with, but it's a segregation. You're yeah. separating by roles and distinctions when you should be melding more and considering yourselves more of a cohesive unit. It's what you learn in the military. It's what you learn working with teams, and the more you operate as a team, a fluid team the better you are in the end result. But in the military, you have titles, you have the medic, you have the engineer, well, the, you have the... I didn't say that the authority and structure is required mm -hmm. because you have to respect those above you who've had the experience and been down the road. So that's still there, I think. I mean, military is maybe a little different to compare perfectly. Yeah. It's not a one-to-one, -one, but you still have structure, you still have hierarchy, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you can't be on the same team. I agree. And that also helps with the whole common goal thing. Like, you're right. all working yeah. towards the same thing. Right. You don't have to be nailed down to a certain thing. Yeah. We just gotta quit putting each other in boxes, man. That's right, man. No Stop. boxes, okay? Don't put me in a box, Box, right? not boxes. I'm, I'm really encouraged by the fact that you guys, like, didn't even know that there was this tension. That is, that is definitely a good sign for the future. I've started getting a hint of it, though, with, I, I've been working with, um... Daniel Whitenack? Uh, no, Pete Soderling from Data oh, Engcom. He's great. Yeah, Pete's great. And so I've kind of caught some edge that there's this divide because, like, okay, why is it Data Engcom and not Data Science Conf? Or just like, why is it, <laughs> right. why are there these nuances? The terms are, yeah. And so I didn't know the animosity or the, the divide, but I can sense that something was not perfect. You know, not, not a cohesive world. There was, there's a distinct between the different roles. Yeah, yeah. And, and his conference is part of. <laughs> I think part of the solution because because he so? really addresses it um, and and it's all about working together as data science engineers and not as engineering and data science. Not as individuals. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Let's talk about your talk and what you're here to talk about. You said your focus is on natural language processing, uh, speech recognition, stuff like that. Is that what your talk was about? So it was about how we use NLP at Cordoba. 
Um, so we have a platform that helps people localize their products. It doesn't really matter what the product is, um, but most everyone has a website or a mobile app, anything like that. We have a platform that helps people release that product in different markets. So not just English speaking ones, but really across the globe. Mm -hmm. And so my role within, um, within the engineering team is to work on the machine learning. So my talk really set the stage for, okay, why is localization important? Why should you even care about it? Uh, because these are the disasters that happen when you don't care about it. And I went down into a few of the details about which tools we're using. There's, we built a lot of this on open source uh, on open source software, I really couldn't imagine building it on anything else. Like it, open source really did enable us to even create this platform. Because of the cost or because of the No, why? capabilities. Just better software. Well, I don't think any of, like I don't think, there's so many different components. I don't think any one vendor provides that Everything. entire stack. And yeah. even if I wanted to cobble all that together, it would be extremely difficult. It's much, much easier using open source tools, and they have gotten better so much faster. What are some of the tools that you're using? Let's see, so the heart of our machine learning, we're using Spark's MLlib. Uh, we use their logistic regression, random forest, stuff like that, libraries. Um, and Prediction.io is what does a lot of the NLP stuff. Um, and Let's see, we're running that in Docker containers on Kubernetes. It's all in Scala. And let's see, our storage layer is using MariaDB and Cassandra. Um, there's, I mean, there's a Lots lot of, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I talked that's, a little bit about that. That's interesting. Laundry list. Of, yeah. It's basically and a it's dream. And it's all open source. It's <laughs> Almost all open source. It's basically yeah. a dream. Yeah, like as an engineer, to be able to work with such amazing tools, it's... Yeah. It's really, really fun. That's they cool. didn't have to work too hard to recruit me because, like, the mission, I mean, changing the world, being able to give people products that feel native to them, even if yeah. they don't speak English, like, can really do so much good in the world by building that kind of platform um, and then using, like, the best tools out there to do it, the tools that engineers really want to use. Um, that's, that's a big plus. Yeah. I love the branding. Yeah. The branding is phenomenal. Cordoba, have you seen the site? No, it's, I haven't. It's, it's beautiful. We have a great designer. Yeah. I mean, I love the, the, the direction. It's. I mean, it looks extremely trustworthy. That's actually our brand newly unveiled site because we just announced wow. our funding. We just got a, we just closed our Series A funding round and part of that was, you know, unveiling the new website. So I'm well, glad you like it. That's congratulations great. on all that. Why is it the first time we're hearing of Cordoba? Why do you think? So I've asked myself that question a lot. Uh, when I first met the co-founders and I first heard about what they were building, it was one of those times where I was just like, light bulb, how have I not thought of using machine learning for that purpose? It, it's so well suited, it just makes sense. Um, but I think a lot of good ideas in the past are like that. They seem obvious once right. you've thought of them. Right. Um, the thing about localization. <laughs> exactly. The circle was better than that square I was using. <laughs> Um, the thing about the localization field is that it just really hasn't changed much in 30, 35 years. And, and we're really here to take a lot of the tools um, that work so well in other areas and apply it to this sort of older, more traditional one. And why hasn't anyone done it before? I have no idea because it makes so much sense. And it's really, really exciting to be a part of that so yeah. early in the game at yeah. such an early stage of the startup. Um, it's, it's a fantastic experience. Cool. 
Well, Michelle, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Of course. Any closing thoughts to share? Anything, any words of wisdom to part on? For the data scientists out there, the data, data engineers out there, engineer. and the, the mathematicians not melting well enough, what's going on? Feel the love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess I feel very, I feel very personally invested in that whole uh, data science versus engineering thing because I have you. one foot in both. Right, both doors. Both yeah. sides. You're the hybrid. I am definitely a, a hybrid, um, and that's been a fantastic experience. I haven't encountered any animosity in my personal, uh, my personal teams. Okay. Um, and so I, I guess I just want to see more of that. Just everyone be nice. <laughs> Everybody be nice. Be nice, please. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Change Log. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend, rate us an Apple podcast, and thank you to our sponsors, Bugsnag, Linode, GoCD, and TopTile. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support the show. The Changelog is hosted by myself, Adam Stokowiak, and Jared Santo. It's edited by Jonathan Youngblood. The awesome music you've been hearing is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find more episodes just like this at changelog.com or by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.